So that's wonderful. It's just an amazing opportunity to be home and uh, come home from a trip. I know some of you were here last week, but, uh, and you know, we've been um, over there helping Deborah's mom who had a, a stroke and uh, continue to do that. Uh, she's doing way better, but it's a process like everybody. And I'm fully aware that we're not the only ones in this community that are going through trials and tribulations. Mark has just had his operation um, and is still in hospital for pray for him. But please pray for, for each other too. Just reach out um, because, you know, there's, there's so much comfort knowing that people are praying for you. And in some way, I feel in a sense guilty because we have this profile and some of you don't. So uh, if you're going through trials and tribulations and that and you need prayer, what I'd like to ask you to do, because if we know we can do it as leaders and so on, just uh, drop a line to, to the junction and we'll make sure that you're prayed for for that. And uh, in speaking of prayer, Love Your City is important to us. Um, it's just a way of blessing, no other agenda, but to want to give back to the city. And um, so bring your friends uh, and um, come along and support it. Uh, volunteer. It's an incredible thing. But one of the things that I'm, I've always been concerned about, about some of the things like this, and I've been reflecting on that this week, that evangelism can quite easily become an event. Like we do our Love Your City thing, and we do it really well, and so on. But we come away from that thinking that we've done our evangelistic outreach for the year. And I know that's not for all of you, uh, and, and so on. But it's a danger that uh, we put the stuff away and because I want us to be a people that love our city in many various ways, and we're going to speak about some of the things some amazing people uh, are doing and heading up in this, in, in, in this church with regards to outreach and so on. But it's something that we, uh, I believe, we need to step up in and see on a daily basis that we go with the heart wherever we go to love our city. And love is not a word, it's not an emotion. In the Bible word, in the Bible, love is an action. Love is an action. It has to be poured out. And, and so I'm praying that even with this, it's been one of the most simplest messages I've put together, but I tell you, it's, it's really pierced my heart to understand, to realize that how far even I have shifted from the core of the call of Jesus Christ is to go into the world and make disciples uh, of all nations and to love people and so on. And so just a little story of how this church started, and it's got nothing, it's all God. I tell you, when you hear this, you know it was definitely not Deborah and I that could do this, but we felt a call of God. I was radically saved uh, in the mid-80s through a really bad accident. I shouldn't be here. Uh, electrocuted by thousands of volts and wattage. I won't tell you the whole thing. And as a result, when I was 28 years old, my hair went this color. So I haven't aged since then. So it's really cool. But it was quite weird when you're 30 walking around like this and, and uh, people asking me if Deborah is my, my daughter. Uh, 
But yeah, I got saved, and then that Deborah was saved before me, and I, for a long number of, um, for maybe a year or so, I, I literally mocked her and her faith. I wanted nothing to do with it. But being around her and her new Christian friends and hearing the gospel enough times, I knew what to do when I was lying on the floor, um, um, shivering and shaking and crying out to God for my salvation. So I got saved. Some people need a gentle nudge to come in the kingdom and others need a baseball bat. And I'm one of those. And... Um, but that's how the, my journey with God started. And I sit on that floor, and in the hospital, I don't know where, where people are saying he's not going to survive this if he survives the shock, internal burning, blah, blah, blah. And um, Deborah has actually had a Bible college, college that started a 24-hour prayer chain. I didn't know about that. A, a place full of faith that has seen radical healings and revival. And they prayed and prayed and prayed, and here I am today. Um, and so I know what God can do through the power of prayer and the power of faith. But when I was in that, I remember saying this in, um, in my mind. I couldn't speak anything, I was, and, and I was having this conversation with God while I was supposedly unconscious. And I said this to God, if you save me, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And so that started this journey. And then in the... In the early 2000s, in the early 90s, sorry, uh, I was on a mission trip and I felt God say, you're going to plant a church and it's not going to be in South Africa. Never thought of it, never wanted to do it, but it was just so powerful. I came back from that, told Deborah that story. She freaked out. She said we were happy and had good jobs and all of this kind of stuff initially. Although before she had told me years ago that we're going to do this before I was saved. And I said, no way, it's what you're talking about. And so just when we got over that shock, we, we started the process. We arrived in, in Canada in 1997, not knowing one Christian in this nation. We just felt God call us here. Um, and uh, we did know some people, but uh, they weren't saved. So, but God did call us to Canada. And through a process, we came here. And this is a very short thing. And with no idea really how to start a church, plant a church. I'd been on, I'd read stuff and had been trained and equipped by the church we are through the apostolic team. But how many of you know that theory has nothing, got, nothing to do with practical outworking? Now, you can learn how to build a bridge, but until you've built one, it's pretty sketchy. Um, um, it's just all theory. And so we came here and... And um, I, I was able to get some work, and Deborah got some work, and that started, and we just started reaching out. Deborah's an incredible evangelist. She would ask everybody. I'm a bit more reticent than that. But we decided we would just invite people to our home, and that if we could start a home group, we could plant a church. And so we started inviting people, and some would come, some would come, and I said, God, what can I do to... to to uh, attract all people, strangers. It's pretty weird when you come with a weird accent uh, and you go to people, just meet them once or twice. Hey, do you want to come to our, our house <laughs> for, for coffee, for dinner? And uh, in, in Africa, it's more common than that. People would say, sure, absolutely, no problem. 
But people would come, and then I, God, what can I do? And being a good South African, I like to bribe, which you call a barbecue. So I thought, I'm just going to get a barbecue. I went to Zeller's, bought the cheapest, ugliest, biggest uh, barbecue, put it there. I stuck it on our deck, and I just said to people, I started inviting people, and Deborah, hey, do you want to come to a barbecue? And that was a bit easier. So every Wednesday night, we, we had some people come in. We went um, no agenda. But like any time, they'd come, uh, we'd, um, they'd come along and ones and twos and uh, ask us why we're here. And we'd tell them that we've come to plant a church and some of them would um, nearly choke on their um, piece of steak and others would be, wow, what's that all about? That's amazing. What are you doing? And I was actually surprised how God would bring people uh, into this randomly. We thought that who seemed to be searching and that's how Oceanside Church started, in our lounge uh, with our, our children in 1997. And I'm saying that to all to say that, that we were radically outreach-focused then. We had to be. And one of the things that has um, gripped my heart this week as I've been speaking, thinking of this and love your city is how inward-focused I have become. Yes, I preach the gospel. Yes, I, I lead a church. But actually, how inward focusizing. In those time, we were desperate to get people, so we would go the extra mile. We would, when we started meeting on a Sunday morning with a few group, uh, one of the ways that we encouraged people to come is um, Deborah would say we would look after the kids while they go shopping afterwards. So I'd say, oh, cool, we, we can handle an hour of this, and then we can... and. Um, and so we'd often have people hanging around for lunch and kids and so on. But through that, um, I see the markets here. We try to um, get their children to come to our little sun- Sunday school. They lived up the road, and they thought we were a cult, so they kept their kids away from us. And, uh, was <laughs> and um, so they, I'm glad they joined the cult. That's all I know. And... Um, it's not a story, a hero story. It's just a story of reaching out and sometimes in desperation for what God wants us to do. And you see, events are very important, like Love Your City. We get more people. But it's only one small portion of what God calls us to do as ambassadors of Christ. And that is to represent Jesus Christ well in word and deed. You see, we can have all the theory and we, can, and we can study and study and study, but if there's no outworking of that into the community, because really, we, I love to study uh, Paul's writings and, and Old Testament, but really, Jesus Christ's theology was very simple. Yes, he gave us the rest of the Bible and he knew it was coming, but what he told us to do is very simple. Love the poor pray for the sick, reach out, feed the hungry. And he often did that supernaturally. And I want to tell his stories, uh, this one last story, because, and please don't look at us. I mean, I feel that uh, in many ways we have dropped the ball in this area. But at one stage in South Africa, um, there was, where we lived in the area, there's a place called the Nanda Valley, or Valley of the Thousand Hills, and there was a civil war going on between 
uh, in Carton, the ANC, Zulu, and of course, a tribal war going down there. Lots of people being hurt and killed. It was about 10 k's away. It didn't affect us, actually, uh, where we were. And uh, I was an elder in the church at that stage, and three ladies came to us and said, listen, they would like to, and they were nurses, they would like to go down into the valley to, there was a school that you could actually see from the top, uh, really no windows, nothing like it, but it was a school, and said so they would like to go and, and, and feed the, those children once a week and take some medical supplies down there. Well, we freaked out as the eldership. You're crazy, you can't go down there and all of this, and to our embarrassment, and, and the lady leading said, listen, you know, we're actually going to go, go down there. We, we believe this is God's plan for us. So I told the lead guy I was in leading, I said, they can't go on their own. I will go with them. I will go with them. I don't know what we were going to do, <laughs> but just drive them down. So we drive down there, and we go and take um, cans of milk, those big cans of milk and peanut butter sandwiches, and the school kids would come. They'd each get a sandwich, and then they would, the nurses would go and do some minor medical stuff and try and help them along like that. And um, it really changed my life. It changed my life. We couldn't wait to do this. We never, ever had one issue. We never were ever in any danger in that whole time. And I'm not saying it couldn't happen. Jimmy's been to the Congo, Johan. You go there and you don't know. Um, But um, one time, there was about 150 kids in the school, so we'd make all the sandwiches and some for the teachers and go down there. And the kids would line up. The headmaster would say... Uh, this is the only day in the week that there's full attendance at school. And um, the one day we went down there, and this school had invited another school to have a soccer tournament. Now, it was just bush that had been mowed with rocks and sticks as posts. But anyway, the whole school sort of came along, these two schools. So we had double amount of people there. And we were thinking, oh, geez, what are we going to do? And... and um, and so I cut the sandwiches in half, all of this, and somebody said, why don't we just give them out and see what happens? So I said, okay. So we're there, and they're handing them out, handing them out. Fed 300 kids, and there were sandwiches left. I'm telling you before God right now. We were shocked. We, we were even shocked with that. And I'm saying... This to say this is that God moves in power. We can pray for the lost. We can pray for people to evangelize on our behalf, but there's nothing like stepping out on that water. And sometimes you've still got, you've got bubbles going up your nose as you're sinking in the water, screaming out to Jesus. And I see him with a big smile laughing, ah, you, look, you have little faith. And the crazy thing is, even if you drown, you have little faith because you're going to wake up in eternity. I keep telling people if, if, uh, if, if I'm on life support, please don't, or, or if I die, please don't raise me from the dead. Why would I want to come back here? You know what I mean? I know it's family and all of that, and maybe I'll feel differently when I'm lying on the floor. But the fact is we... A little faith, no matter what happens, no matter what we do, no matter where we go for the gospel, we win. And there's multitudes, multitudes. Jesus looked at Jerusalem and saw the multitudes with, 
with sheep without a shepherd. He, he wept over Jerusalem at one stage. He wept for the people. He had compassion. And, and he said, pray. He didn't say pray for the harvest. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers. And I think in this scene, and I think for me and for us, this next season is to break out of these walls. This is the huddle. We need to do this, church. This, I haven't even started here, so don't worry about it. Uh, I'm not saying we won't get to it. Uh, you may have to have a lunch break, but no, I'm, I'm kidding. But, um, you know, we have so much potential within this room, even without stuff because we carry in us the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God. And I'm praying that over this, that, that the, this will become a church in a sense of, how, uh, of no walls, where we uh, are praying and trusting God for these opportunities, and where we come together on a Sunday, and it is important, Jesus said in Hebrews, the word of God says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints in Hebrews 10, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day appearing. So this is the huddle. This is like um, the Canucks being really whacked up in the first uh, period. And they go in the change room and everybody's booing them in the crowds and all of that. But I bet you in that change room, they're saying, guys, we can do it. We can turn this around. We can do this. And they get out and try again and, and so on. And, and uh, I think often we as Christians have become, instead of being on the ice and engaged in, the, in, in, in what God's called us to, we are sitting in the bleachers looking and criticizing Others that are trying to do it the best, even if they do it wrong. (laughs) It's better than doing nothing. And so for us to come together, to be empowered, enriched, for our home groups, for every group to have a focus outside of themselves, outside of themselves. It's so easy, and uh, getting back to that, believe it or not, uh, people ask me, can, all right, because I don't know what success means, but... um, People um, that have been here and write to me or go to our website, geez, how did you do this? And I tell them, with a barbecue. Well, nobody wants to buy that book because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a hug. It could be a listening ear. And I tell you, one of the things that I've realized that under trial and under pressure, I could become more and more inward focused and more sorry for myself and dig a big hole very quickly. But when you reach out, and I remember doing this, when you reach out and you go into a hut with nothing, with no water and all of that, and we're complaining because the electricity is off or something like that for two days, when you go in there, you are so grateful because there's always people worse off than you. And you begin to realize, and we be, I begin to realize to count my blessings. You see, 1 Peter 2, 8 to 12, speaking of us, a royal priesthood. We are royal priests, kings and priests. And it says here, for you are a chosen people. God chose you. He says that he didn't, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to represent me well. You're a holy nation. 
You're a people belonging to God. We are, should I say. Chosen to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. I urge you, I urge you, the word of God says, as as Peter writes this under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, as strangers in this world, to abstain from simple desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, God is raising up an army, a priesthood of all believers. Yes, I have the privilege of leading this church, but I have no authority, more authority than you, no more anointing than you, no more, less power than you, or more than you. We are all kings and priests. We all have the power of God. And when Jesus said, you will receive power, in Acts 1.8, as the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes in, and we're going to start speaking about that, the infilling of the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit that we receive when we are born again, when we're born of the Spirit, and then consequent to that, as we believe in Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus starts speaking about this, and it's a baptism of power where we can lay our hands on the sick and they will recover, where we can lay our hands on loaves of bread and they can multiply. The great, Jesus said, greater things than these that I've done you will do in my name. Why could Jesus say that? Because he operated as a man. He was fully God, yet fully man, God incarnate. And whilst here, he received, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him as he came out of the water in the form of a dove. And then he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to get more knowledge, to do this. Yes, those are all important. No, to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind the broken heart, to lay our hands on the sick, power to witness. And if we want to see the power of God released, I promise you it will happen in, this, in, this, in the building for sure because God is gracious. But when we start stepping out, And Smith Wigglesworth, uh, a a man that raised more than 21 people from the dead. If you haven't heard of him, just Google him. Uh, One of the heroes of of my faith, in a sense. Guys like him and John G. Lake and so on. John uh, Smith Wigglesworth raised over 21 people from the dead. And one of the people... Somebody asked him, he was a Yorkshireman, and he was, um, had quite a sense of humor. And he says, so how do you, do you have, uh, learn to pray for the dead? How did it happen? He says, easy. Go to a mortuary, and those days you could just walk in, I presume, find a dead body and pray for it. And it's, if it doesn't get up, they're not going to complain anyway. So, I don't know if he did that, but that was his answer. 
And he said, how do you have faith? He would, multitudes in wheelchair, multitudes would come to him, go and read his stories uh, and so on, would come for healing in wheelchairs and people would bring them in ambulances and, and so on and he would pray for them. And they said, Smith, how do you have such faith and with all of this carnage around you? And he says, when I look at the circumstance, I have no faith. But when I look at Jesus Christ, I have all the faith in the world. I never look down. I look up and I pray with authority. And he said, yeah, I can be overwhelmed. And sometimes he'd say, I'd see all of this and all of a sudden fear. What's going to happen? What happened to happen? And he'd say, look up, look up, look up. You see, it's a priesthood of um, all believers who, according to Colossians 3.12, will be robed with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. A priesthood that will be willing to use the gifts and talents for the glory of God. And it's to leave the scriptures out just to. You see, our dream should be First and foremost is to be a priesthood identified by love, the agape love of God. The agape is the Greek word, one of the Greek words for love, and it's unconditional, unmerited, undeserved love of God. It's the love of God, and we know it's the love of God because Jesus died for us on the cross unconditionally, we didn't deserve it. Um, no guarantee that we would bow the knee to him. He, divide, he died for the whole world. And he shed, he poured out his love on the cross for us, for love for one another. And he says in this, in John 13, 34, 35, Jesus is in the upper room. He's preparing his disciples. You should go and read um, the passages of Jesus in the upper room. You need to know that some person's last words are more than likely some of the most important. That's why reading um, First and Second Timothy are important to Paul to us, as far as where Paul was and where his heart was. Those he he was about to be um, um, uh, persecuted for his faith. This is a new command I give you. Love one another. How? As I have loved you. Think about that. Then he says this. By this, and underline that, shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And the churches should not be divined by the great worship and by the good preaching or bad preaching or whatever, whether it's good or bad, by the size of it, by its, by its international profile or anything. Those are all God can do and God can give and God can take away in an instant. The church that Jesus Christ is coming back for will be defined by unconditional love. And why Jesus was saying love one another, and he's talking to the disciples in the, the, and his church, I believe, there, is because um, if we can get it right here, we can get it right out there. And that's the hardest thing to do. You see, the enemy knows, and he doesn't have to change any strategy, divide and conquer. And where did he learn that? From Jesus Christ. 
because the enemy knows the word. He quoted the word to Jesus in his temptation. He knows that because Jesus said, a house divided will not stand. And so it's important. This is the huddle. We don't have to get on with everybody well. We don't have to uh, agree with everybody's theology. To me, the Apostles' Creed is the non-negotiables, the inerrancy of the Word of God, the triune God, and all of those. To us, yeah, that's, that's part of our statement of faith, and, uh, and so on. But outside of the non-negotiables of ours and other people have other non-negotiables, we want people to know what we believe because we're not going to, especially our statement of faith, because we're not going to argue about that. It's who we are and, and so on. But outside of that, we prophesy in part and we know in part and when we get there, we'll know even, even as, he is heavy, uh, as, as he is known. In other words, when we're in heaven, we'll know a whole lot more than what we know now through, uh, and look back and see how many things we got wrong and how we fought about things that had nothing to do with the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ or our salvation. That has divided the church and so on. Now, I want to say this on top of that, is that I believe... Uh, since Psalm 41, I think, is that, that many streams will flow as one river. And so I believe diversity is good. I believe, I'm so happy that in this city, there's uh, our churches that like to worship with hymn books and organs and so on. There are, there are churches that may be more extravagant than us. And there's churches, everything in between. And do you know why I believe this? Those are streams. Why did God make 12 tribes and not one? Because diversity is good. It's a picture of the church. Many streams, different, flowing different ways, different giftings, flowing as one River, the river of God. And we fight over stuff that is dividing the church, and the enemy is having a field day. I'm not saying it's happening here, but it's something that God's been um, pointing out to me in my life. Be careful. Be careful as a pastor. I mean, Pastor, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? The question is do you love Jesus? Do you believe in the word of God? Do you believe God saved, uh, Jesus saved us through his blood on the cross? Let's talk about those things. Because Paul said we pray in part and prophesy in part. That is in 1 Corinthians 13, in the context of love. And you're going to read that whole thing of love. Without love, we have nothing. We can surrender our bodies. We can prophesy. We can do whatever. Without love, it means nothing. And then he puts that in there. And I was thinking about Paul. Paul went to the third heaven, to the very throne room, and got the revelation of grace right there. Even the other apostles that worked with Jesus, walked with Jesus uh, fought with him over that revelation. It was downloaded, but he says in humility, I don't know at all. Because he doesn't say you prophesy in part and you know in part. Listen, I'm the guy that was there. And when he speaks about that, going there, he never actually says, I know a man that went there. It was quite obvious that it was him. And so what is he saying? Then we will know even as he is um, fully known. So let's be careful. 
Let's rather honor. There are non-negotiables that we, we must give an account for and be prepared to stand no matter what. But outside of that, let's strive for unity and the commanded blessing of God. Amen? Matthew 5, a city, uh, we are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people hide a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand where it gives life everyone to see in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. Isn't it amazing? Peter, uh, in, in, as a royal priest, Peter said that, that people will glorify God because of your good deeds, because of your love, your serving, and all of that. And says that too. And so why is that so important? It's not good deeds for good deeds' sake, because without the gospel, uh, it's not going to change the eternal destiny. But what good deeds do? Feeding the hungry, in Matthew 24, the sheep and the goats, he doesn't say the sheep and the goats, well, when you were drunk, or when you did drugs, or when you did all of those things, he doesn't mention those, and those were all bad things. But he says to the goats, when I was hungry, where were you? When I was in hospital, when I was in prison, where were you? But to the sheep, they say, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. And then he says, what you did to the least, you did to me. And they said, when? He said, we didn't even know we were doing that. You see, good deeds, what they do is create an atmosphere over time to soften a heart that people are prepared to hear what you have to say because you're not talking at them or down at them. You're talking with them. It could be mowing a neighbor's lawn who's sick. It could be a visit in hospital. It could be an old lady. Uh, in, uh, you see that driveway full of snow and you know it's an old lady there and you go back there two, three days, still there. It could be a snow shovel. What gives credibility to what anybody says to me is uh, that will change, maybe help change is the fact that I know they care and love for me. When people care and love for you and say things, they pierce their heart. Sometimes they're horrible things or good things, true or not. And when we care for the city, when we love the city, when we're out there and we come alongside them and then we begin to start speaking life, their ears are tentative, their heart is, uh, is beginning to soften. The seed, because we cannot save anybody, we could not even save ourselves. We sow seeds. Parable of the soil. And there's a condition of the soil, which is a, which is a parable of the heart. And when that seed penetrates good soil, and somebody, then it's in there, and then somebody else comes in and does another good deed, and it begins to water that seed. And then somebody else comes and begins to grow. For, for Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered that seed, but God made it grow. And so I want to end with that today. I hope this has been all right. Um, like I say, I think 
this, this little, little passage, this little preach, and re- really I, um, I could have just done in five minutes, but as I've been praying into this and as I've been seeking it, I've been seeing a big log that I need to remove. And you know, when we repent, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, but separates our sin as far as the east is from the west and chooses in his sovereignty, not because he's got a bad memory, and chooses to remember them no more. They are wiped out, gone for all eternity, wiped out because of Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice. And, and so this is not about condemnation. This is about God wanting to spur me on and spur us on towards love and good deeds. And it starts in the house. It starts with each other. It starts with us getting to know people. And I'm looking at people, and I could name them now, that are incredible gatherers and, 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 and love what they do, love outdoors and love this. And all they do is take people along with them. And they teach him how to canoe or teach him how to do this and help them. And when they're walking up the hill, they walk at the back, although they could run to the top and back before you got halfway up. Encouraging people, building community, building strength, baking cakes, weeding gardens, helping people, building a community that is strong so that when and if it comes that we are no longer allowed to meet in buildings... And that's happening around the world. And I think the only church in the world that is, was prepared for that is the church in China. They're used to that. So when it becomes, if we get to that, there is love. There's community. I know Bob. I know Joe. I don't know. People can say, oh, I know. Um, okay, let me, let me go down to my old days. I know Mick Jagger. I, used to love, I still love the stones. And uh, I know him. Oh, here's he. He leads the band, blah, 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 written all of this and so on. But I don't know him. I can know Christ, many people, but they don't know him. And I can know people, and we can't know everybody. That's why connect groups. It's not something to waste halfway through the week. It's to build community within the community. We can't have 500, 600, 700 friends. But we can have 10, 20, 30. So if we've got 70 groups of 10 people, loving and caring, and then that 10 say, let's go along and let's help that 10. And they go along and they say, why don't we do something for the city? Us 10, or us 20. Why don't we reach out? Can we see how this could just explode? Explode in our lives. And I tell you, there's nothing more fulfilling in my life than to help somebody else. Even though I don't like doing it most of the time. Bad attitude and so on. Sometimes, oh, jeez, I really don't feel like doing it. You go and do it. And the gratitude, I feel guilty afterwards. You should know. Good thing you can't read my mind. You know what I mean? And then you start thanking God for things like that. There's never too late. There's no retirement in the kingdom. No retirement. 
You live and then you die. And you give an account for what you live for, and then you spend the rest in heaven in eternity with them. So I just want to share a few things that we are doing, and I want to encourage you to trust God for creative ideas. I could tell you some of the things that I do, but I don't want to because um, it's not about me. And I'm sorry, even the beginning, I'm reluctant to tell our story because I don't want it to be. I'm no superhero, and I fell and, and messed up hundreds of times in those journeys, more than you can imagine. So please, I'm not some superhero, but if I can do it, and others can do it in this place, so can you. And if you can't do it on your own, find somebody that's a little bit braver than you. Say, will you come with me? When I was hungry, you fed me. You visited me in hospital. You took these little ones in. Gave them a safe haven. So many things. It's not about condemnation. And then some people in here, there's two types of people. One if you're super mercy driven, you can be overwhelmed because there's so many needs. And if you're not that way driven, you can have the opposite effect. So you can't do everything. We can't. But each one of us can be part of something or at least do one thing. We can't do it. The disciples couldn't do it on their own. And so on. So these are some of the outreach opportunities we have. And we want him more. And Joy, is Joy here? Joy Becker? Joy, do you want to come up here? I'm going to embarrass you. Is Roberto here? Okay, Roberto um, is not in this morning. He leads the acts on the street. But Joy has an incredible... Uh, um, privilege, and we have a privilege of uh, incredible privilege of having joy as our outreach communi- uh, no, outreach coordinator. So, for time, we're not going to. If you want to know, or if you have some ideas for outreach, nothing is too small or too big. Hey, I've got this, and can we do that? Do it. Just do it. You know, Nike. Just do it. I think some of us have got the Nike switch upside down and it says, do what? (laughs) Just do it. And if it's something that you need help, Joy's the person. She's an incredible lady of compassion. She works diligently at this and she's administrative. And she can help you build something around us so that we can create. So we know what you're doing. Somebody said, well, I can't do that by herself, but I can help. Come up with those things. Businessmen reaching into the business community, creating forums where business people can come in, influences, influencing influences. Those kind of things to people on the streets and everything in, in, in between. So I just want to thank Joy. And this, I, I know she won't like this, but let's give her a hand. I mean, I, and God bless you. Thank you. If you don't have Joy's... Um, details uh, or email to get involved with what we're doing, you can contact the office. 
The, the other thing we do is Acts on the Street. Roberto um, maybe be working to this morning, I don't know. But he's a man from Brazil, and he came back here a few years' time and he said, man, we used to go on the streets, um, I think of San Paulo, and he says, share the gospel and all of that and all of We saw signs, wonders, miracles. Can I do it here? I said, are you kidding me? I wanted to say, can I clone you? And so he started this little thing called Acts on the Streets. It's small now still, but it's to pray and just love on people downtown. And you heard it, there's one this afternoon. And, um, and so if you want to be involved with that, it's, um, it's, what time is it this afternoon? One o'clock at downtown. And then we have uh, 7.10, uh, together we brunch. Dave? Would you please stand up? And no, he's a shy guy. Yeah, no, more. Stand up so people can see you. Stand up, Dave. Let's give him a hand. He's, he's not used to that, and I love that about him. But, Dave, um, I just want to thank you for taking the point, building on what others have done before. But it's to connect with the downtown community. And um, if you want to get hold of Dave Paddock and find out more, uh, you can get the um, you can get the details from the church, and um, maybe do we have them there? Could we put that slide up? And then there's other things that we want to do. There's seniors outreach. Once again, just a, a thing for me being there with Deb's mom and um, seeing how many seniors don't have anybody come visit them over a six week period. And we started, and it was wonderful to me. I loved it. I had an opportunity to pray for so many people and so on. But it shouldn't just be in a crisis. There's so many, so many, from origins, the top of the, where people put their people in there, and Judy would tell us nobody visits them, to, to the ones that are downtown, the senior centers. They need help. They need people. They need love. They need a chat, somebody to play cards with them, somebody to, to um, take them for a walk, whatever it is. And so Joy is really working with that and trying to get some information together so that we can do. And then we have uh, the Congo, the orphanage, Grace Orphanage. Uh, if you want to sign to that, you can do it on the line. 94, 95%? 97% of the finances that come in for Grace Orphanage goes to the orphanage. The only money that doesn't, there's no charity like that, is the only money that doesn't is the transfer fees to get the money there. I think that's the 3%. People do it for free. They lay down their lives. And we want to get Congo going well. And that has been set up in such a way under Johan's guidance. Uh, please stand up again so people see Johan. Let's give him a, yeah. So, so that when we've got that fully operational, we can duplicate it. It's a charity that we can duplicate. Is that right? not right? All over the world. And I'd rather do one or two things well than lots not well. So we have this orphanage. And I say that we, in a sense, is because a majority of the people that oversee that are in our church. And uh, we are definitely part of that. And then in, in, we're having a 
a medical mission trip coming up into, uh, into Mexico, in Sonata. It's headed up by uh, a uh, sister church or brother church, whatever you want to do, in Chicago of ours. They have a medical team there, and they're reaching out, and they're reaching out for more doctors, nurses, whoever it is, to come there. It's very well organized. It's getting better. And all they, they set up in these places, and people line up for hours and hours and hours. Some of them have never had medical treatment in their lives. And it's not only to... There's people that can go that want to share the gospel, that want to help on the sidelines so that the medical people can do their job. Uh, there's all of these kind of things there. Share the gospel, lead people to the Lord. I'm telling you, uh, for one of a better word, when you start doing that, and Deborah and I have the opportunity to do that in many places, the best word I can say is it's addictive. Another one that we started at the beginning of this year, and it's not there, is in Haiti. I was in Haiti at the beginning of this year, and um, working with a number of churches there, poorest church mice. Poor, poor, poor people, but passionately in love with God. And, um, and the, the, Marcel, the, the, the main guy that I work with there, he obviously he has a group of about 20 churches around Haiti, and one or two in the Dominican Republic, and we're coming together. He's asked me to come and be actually his oversight in that, held him accountable, and all of this kind of stuff. And I, I look at this guy and I say, I don't feel worthy to even wash his feet. He's such an amazing man. He has in his church a church of a thousand or two, uh, very, very poor people. Great thing about Haiti is time is timeless. Most of them don't have jobs, so church goes to two to three hours at least. The prayer meetings at least that long on a Wednesday night, and they just worship God and so on. But he has a school connected to the church of 600 kids, and they provide a meal for those children who often, it's the only meal they have once a day, and feed every 600 of them from the poor church with gracious gifts from others. I went there, they've got some property. It's amazing that God has blessed this man. He was an orphan himself, he's been there 30 years, and so on. And um, a big issue is protein. And, um, and he had this, and he happened to say, man, we, I didn't say it, this is crazy, maybe we could start a fish farm here or something, and so on. Well, one of the, believe it or not, one of the top experts in fish farming I would like to say in the world, but definitely in Canada, is sitting right here today. That we can go there and start tilapia farms and uh, start providing protein. And with any fish left over, either sell them to, to help the kids or give them away to others. And, uh, and so that's another thing that we're involved in. And so I'm asking you to pray about it and come along inside. You know, there's something so fulfilling when you, we live outside of ourselves, eh? It's an amazing thing. So I've left, uh, I've used up more than my time. I know that clock's about half an hour fast, but uh, we'll go with it anyway. I wanted to, could, would you mind if we just sang one song? As we just pray for the Holy Spirit... Um, if the team could come up. If we could just pray for the song that Ruth did. I want to pray this. Number one, 
If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never accepted him into your life, I can tell you that vacuum in your heart cannot be filled by anything else. And the problem out there is because the gospel is not going forward, people are filling it with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I tell you, I was doing the same thing. Guilty. Because this, this emptiness... But when the Holy Spirit comes in and uh, into your life and you accept Jesus Christ and you confess your sin and he comes into your life, that vacuum is filled. I think C.S. Lewis says there's a God-shaped vacuum in every single one of us and no amount of stuff can fill it except Jesus Christ. And so I want you to consider that. And I'm not asking people to make a decision. I'm, make, I'm asking you to consider it and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If you want to speak to me afterwards, you're welcome, or so on. Um, that, that's the one. The others that are feeling condemnation today, like I have. This morning, I was late this morning because I just felt, how can I even speak about this? And I'm doing stuff, and you're doing stuff, and so on. And God says there is no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. He's not looking for a people walking around with guilt and shame and, and carrying on doing nothing. He says, I've paid the price for it. It's finished. Let go of it today. And in your heart, God, I'm going to, I, I want to do stuff for you. I want to serve you. And I tell you, sometimes you might say that and not do it. And the enemy will say you're a failure. You know what? All you can do is pray to God and get up and let him hold your hand again and keep going and keep going. Keep running your race. Keep falling down. Keep running. God is not, I feel God is proud. Yes, he wants us to do that. But even the fact that we try. And it's little by little. Because this big elephant out there, the city and so on, as the Africans would tell me, that you, only, you, you can only eat an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? Now smile. It's a huge thing. One mouthful at a time. Just take one little bite. One little thing. And if it doesn't work, don't worry. And if you forget to do it, ask God to remind you. But the worst thing that could happen is you leave here and think, well, what have I done? Well, it doesn't matter. Forgetting that which is behind. This one thing I do, Paul says. Remember, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he speaks about that in Philippians. And we think that's the only thing he was forgetting. But what we forget, what he was remembering, that as a Pharisee, he arranged, number one, or, or gave approval to the first martyr, Stephen. He persecuted the church. He was like an ISIS guy, a zealot, going after this little church, wanting to destroy and kill them, not because of anger, but because of his belief that they were false prophets. And Jesus meets him on the road, and, he, and he, he's radically saved by the power of the Spirit, and he gives his life to Jesus. But I can tell you, even in, the, in his final writings to Timothy, he says this, he starts, I was a violent man, and I did not even deserve to, to be called of God. I persecuted the church. He's telling Timothy in his last writings. And he says, but for his grace, but for his love, but for his mercy, I am what I am. And now I'm going to work even harder than anybody because of God's love. So forget the past. 
And when things happen, that's one thing I do. He says one thing. Go and read it. Philippians 3. There's one thing. Forgetting that which is behind. I press on to take hold of what God has taken hold of me for. And God is taking hold of each one of us for something. Forget what is behind. And when you fall again, God forgive me. And you forget my sin, I'm going to forget it. But I'm going to choose to serve you. Because if we don't do that, we can be immobilized as quick as we say yes. We can be discouraged. So we're going to sing the song if you don't mind. If you don't mind standing. Sorry, it's five minutes late. And I want to, um, I'm just going to pray over you. Pray for the anointing to come. For the Holy Spirit to rain down. To wash us clean. To fill us with our Father's love. Come Holy Spirit, come. Lord, for ones who are struggling here today, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you touch their hearts. For ones who have been hurt by the church, I pray, Lord God, that you heal their hearts. And for ones that are living with the consequences of their actions, I pray that they will know that you never leave them or forsake them. And as we sing the song, Holy Spirit, I pray for your presence to come down, to begin to rain down upon us.